Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Tuesday, January 5th edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host, Adam Burke. I'll be joined today by Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. Lots to get to here on today's show. We'll talk about the six wildcard weekend games. We'll talk about the Century Tournament of Champions out at Kapalua and also preview another division for the NHL as that season eight days away from starting here. We'll talk about the other two divisions on next Tuesday's show on the eve of the start of the NHL season. Over at ATS.io, lots of great stuff going on. I encourage you to check out all of the content being put up over there. Some good offers around the sports betting industry, some good stuff from DraftKings and from BetMGM. For new users, head over to the website, read up on the details with those, or download the ATS app where you can read all of the content from ATS.io and also track your bets, look at the odds screen, use the handicapping tools in that app to be a better handicapper here and have a lot more information at your disposal. Or maybe you want to take a look at our premium model subscription over in the ATS app, $9.99 a week, $19.99 a month. A good opportunity for you to see what that model has to say. And it has been doing very, very well here of late. Like I said, we got a lot to get to here on today's show with Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. And Brian, how's it going today, man? Oh, it's going, pal. Um, the real important question is, how are you doing? Oh, man. Uh, and, of course, what Brian's referring to here, uh, Kevin Stefanski, two other coaches for the Browns testing positive, two players also testing positive here on Tuesday morning. And, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things, like I was telling you before we started recording here, I mean, all, all I can do is laugh because I, I, I don't really know what else to do. I mean, if it's not one thing, it's another for Cleveland sports fans. And uh, this one, you know, obviously unique uh, to 2020 slash 2021. But, you know, the, the the timing of this just seems well, I don't know, all too familiar for Cleveland sports fans. No, and I believe me, I feel your pain. And that part of me is like putting a Kevlar vest on because I could say the same thing that it would be the most typical Buffalo thing. If, you know, you got a team that arguably people are saying the hottest team coming in and maybe, you know, I think you got to win that first one. Once they win a playoff game, uh, then I really do believe they're in the hunt here, maybe for the big picture, but it would be the most Buffalo thing ever that you got the team that's sitting on, maybe making a run. And then all of a sudden it, it hits them and they lose six or seven guys. My heart goes out to you. That's, that's nonsense. Um, yeah, <laughs> you know they they would they lost the wide receivers, didn't have them for the game with the Jets, and we know that didn't end well. Uh, you're playing the Steelers, and I think a lot of people are looking at them with a jaundiced eye because you know eleven and zero, but you're like, who'd they play? And then they kind of limped in on the back end. But yeah, to me, you're looking at the game going, oh boy. You know, the Cleveland's in, they're playing with house money. All the pressure was on them last week to get in. Everything they do from this point on, seasons of success. Dangerous team playing with house money. If you want to take that leap, they're playing with even a, a big wad of cash money and house money now. If nobody expects them to win because of this thing, that you know, they go in there and you know football teams, us against the world. So yeah, I'm not I wouldn't rule out their chances, but it's just it seems so typically unfair and like you said you're not shocked by it no and and to add insult to injury here and to add not even a shaker of salt in the wound but just like one of those things that you buy to replace the salt that's in the shaker joel batonio one of the players that has apparently tested positive the longest tenured brown along with long snapper charlie hewitt so now, Betonio, who's put up with a lot of bullshit, a lot of bad football with this team, <laughs> now their longest tenured player, one of the guys who will be out. And furthermore, Betonio, you know, sort of the leader of that offensive line. I know J.C. Treader is the guy that's, you know, the president of the, the Players Union or whatever his title is. 
Uh, you know, obviously a lot of the players look to him, but Batonio is the guy who's been here the longest, which means he's kind of the de facto leader of the group, which means now when you consider contact tracing into the mix, all of these guys probably around him with regularity, probably more so than anybody else on the team. So now that also factors into the equation it's, here. And, and, you know, even though this is the last game of the wildcard weekend, we're already talking about it. So we might as well start with this one. I mean, this line's on an elevator going up. I mean, Pittsburgh's up to five and a half market wide. It's only going to keep going throughout the week, especially because the Browns now have to keep worrying about every single round of testing, every bit of contact tracing, all of that. If for whatever the hell reason you like Cleveland, obviously wait as long as you can here. But if you like Pittsburgh, I mean, this thing's only going to keep going up. Well, it's in the dead zone, right? At four and a half this morning, and now you're seeing five and a half. That's that was a no-brainer. The question is, how high does it go? Um, you know, I, I've long had this discussion and debate with odds makers: is what's the value of the coach? You know, in terms of the wagering line, I don't think they put enough stock in special teams. I've always said this: if a team's top three or top four in the NFL, they get, you know top three kick and punt returner, a punter that uh, pins teams inside the 10 better than anybody. And they're always winning the field position battle. How does, how does special teams not factor into a wagering number? It doesn't. Uh, What about the coaching matchup? Um, It doesn't. And, you know, it's going to now, I mean, the fans are going to react to it, but the the question is, I think the sketchy nature of, of Pittsburgh to a degree, I don't know that it gets the seven, it may, if it gets the seven, they'll buy it back. Um, I mean, the, the one the one thing is is a game management thing, and I'll defer to you. You watch them a lot closer than me. Preparation wise, uh, they'll have their practices. They just played them, which is a benefit. And Stefanski and these guys, they'll be able to do all their stuff in Zoom meetings, as long as they have a decent week of practice and mentally they're prepared for it. We were debating who would get it. You said you thought maybe the offensive coordinator or the special teams guy. Honestly, I would give it to the special teams guy. You know, he's only got a handful of plays he's got to worry about. You manage the game. You manage the timeouts, the clock, and do the delegation. Let the offensive coordinator focus on calling the game. Don't throw this anvil on top of him. To me, I think that the special teams guy would make more sense. Well, and the contingency plan for the Browns is to use Mike Pry for their special teams coordinator. But the problem here is that while they have an offensive coordinator in Alex Van Pelt, and he does work very closely with Kevin Stefanski, Stefanski is the game day play caller. So there's also that now where now it's going to be Van Pelt who's going to be communicating with Baker. That's, of course, assuming Van Pelt doesn't test positive because him and Stefanski are joined oh, at the boy. hip for obvious reasons. So there's you know, also that now. And that's the problem, too, is that now we have to speculate all week long. I agree with you. Steelers are a flawed team. I don't think they're a very good team. Offensively, it doesn't matter who's out there. They're not a great offense. And defensively, they've fallen off a little bit because of the injuries. But now the question you kind of look at here is, how much does this snowball for Cleveland? To the point where I think if there are no other positives, contact tracing comes back okay, Maybe this gets to six. Maybe you see six and a half as a reactionary thing. I agree it doesn't get to seven. But if this keeps going on for Cleveland, where more and more guys keep having this, then, you know, God only knows where this line ends up. But I do agree with you in the sense that Pittsburgh is not a trustworthy favorite. They're not a good offensive team. They don't have a good running game to sit on a lead if they wind up getting one. So, you know, I think that there's there's just so much to unpack about this game that, if you want to grab a Pittsburgh price, just expecting the worst case scenario for Cleveland, then deciding if you want to bat, buy back on Sunday, I don't think that's a bad idea. But I mean, it's just, you know, now you just have all this uncertainty and all of this unknown with five more days of testing before the game actually gets played. Yeah, you know, I'm just thinking of like the, the big picture this season, for the most part, there have been speed bumps to Tennessee the Denver thing where they had to play without a quarterback Uh, nuisances. I mean, the Denver thing seemed to be patently unfair, but it is what it is, but here's the fear. I mean, go down the road. If all right, Kansas city's playing green Bay in the super bowl, you know, God forbid, right. 
Aaron Rodgers or or Mahomes or you know, and, and somebody gets it the week of the Super Bowl, that you know, this was a season that was going to be played without asterisks for the most part, and now you you kind of and no fans obviously, you know, now you're just muddy in the waters here at the end. That it, it's just it's the world we're living in, but I mean, it and it, it flat out sucks. Yeah, it really does. And, you know, I mean, I I can't imagine at this point in time that they would flex Cleveland out of that primetime spot and play that game at one and move Baltimore, Tennessee down, something like that. I don't expect that being a thing. And the Browns, too, I mean, they even got a little bit of a break in the sense that if the game was played Saturday, I don't think Denzel Ward would have been able to come off the COVID list because he did test positive and with the protocols that are in place, it's 10 days or whatever it is. Uh, Denzel Ward would have been able to come back on Sunday. So the Browns almost got a break with that with this schedule was announced. And then of course, all of this happens. So again, right now, I mean, look, I think you can grab a Pittsburgh price and hold it and sit on it and wait and see what happens and then come back and play Cleveland on Sunday. If you don't trust Pittsburgh. And like we both said, Brian and I don't think that Pittsburgh's a very good team. And like you said, it benefits Cleveland to play Pittsburgh again. If Cleveland was playing Buffalo they'd be screwed. But because they're playing Pittsburgh, a team that they just planned for, then I think maybe that kind of gives them, uh, you know, it lessens the blow, I guess I would say, you know, of preparing this week, of doing everything virtual and all of that. They're not going to get a whole lot of practice in. Maybe that's not the worst thing in the world. I don't know. But, you know, they're planning for a team that they've already played twice and the, per- the players on the team have a significant amount of background with, even though they have the new coaching staff for this year. So, at least I'm, you know, I'm a little curious. Do you think, I mean, here we are on a Tuesday schedule came out Sunday night and I'm, I'm a little curious, you know, that this ended up being the get out game of the, the primetime game, you know, Cleveland's a great story and all, uh, but I sit there and go, you know, the, the number two seed and I'm not whining because it's the same thing for the Colts. But you get the you're the number two seed. You don't get a bye, and they turn around and throw the Bills a two seed into the earliest game, and shorten the week. It's like, well, there was absolutely no reward for being the two seed, and then then this happens. I wonder if they're in any way, shape, or form. There may have been a tipping point that they they knew that that this was a chance something like this might happen with the Browns. They did put the Saints on Sunday, which bought the Saints an extra day to hopefully get Kamara back. And you wonder, you know, how much the league knew potentially uh, because the Saints ended up on Sunday too. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. I mean, you know, I think that one of the things that's that's tough for the NFL this year is that when you look at the teams that made the playoffs, I mean, Chicago's obviously a huge market and there are rabid fan bases in all six of these cities. But, you know, the Rams, I mean – Yeah, I guess, you know, LA is obviously a massive market, but I don't know, you know, what sorts of ratings they draw, how much interest they actually draw there in LA. You know, they don't have a New York team. They don't have some of the big major media markets that they would hope to get here out of this. So, you know, kind of putting Cleveland and Pittsburgh, just, you know, knowing that both of those fan bases are absolutely going to tune in and other people are going to tune in because it's that story of the first Browns playoff berth in 18 years and, and, you know, all of that. They always structure these with, you know, ratings and dollar signs. Well, and- Saturday night, Brady. That's, I mean, there's no, right. that's what that was. We have Brady's on Saturday night. Uh, and then it was the Cleveland story, uh, I guess, you know, putting them on Sunday night. Um, I mean, if if you held a gun to my head and said, what's the best game? I mean, I'm, I'm sitting there going, my God. I mean, the Baltimore-Tennessee game, you know, the, the winner, the winner of that game, I think's got something for Kansas city. I mean, that's, that's, a, those are, I think the two teams from underneath you're saying that, you know, I, I know Buffalo's gotten a lot of buzz the way they're playing and people are pointing to, Oh, Mahomes and Allen, that would be, you know, people are saying that looking forward to potentially that matchup, but believe me, uh, like I said, be careful what you wish for, you know, the Colts can go in and win. There's no doubt about that, but, you know, I think Rivers is capable of making a goofy pass here and there and the way the Bills are playing. It fell right for them. And if Pittsburgh beats the Browns, the Bills avoid Baltimore and Tennessee. One of them's out. One of them goes to Kansas City. Um, I mean, it, it, the way it's set up, short of the Dolphins getting back in, it couldn't have worked out better for Buffalo. But that's one of those, uh, yeah, really, the team you wish you play is the team that beats you. So 
you know, we could do this stuff all day. All right, so let's run through the other games here then. And, and we're talking about that Indianapolis-Buffalo game already. And that is the first game on Saturday, 105 Eastern time kickoff. Buffalo was seven yesterday and this morning, but now coming down off of seven at some places to six and a half, the sevens that are still out there, reduced juice, plus money, all of that. And also a little bit of underinvestment, it looks like, on the total here. Seeing some 51s out there in the market now after this one initially went up to 52. But Buffalo laying six and a half here, Brian, total of 51. What do you think about this matchup? How are you sort of breaking this one down? Well, until it's broke, don't fix it. I mean, I've been, how many times have I said this to you, Adam, doing this podcast week after week after week? And I mean, you go all the way back. It's, and I'm, I'm looking at it. I believe maybe the Jets game potentially and the Chiefs game. But if you uh, you go back to November 1st, the Bills have covered the first half number. It's been an ATM machine. They start like a rocket sled. And the one game in that streak they were lucky was Pittsburgh when they got a pick six in the final minute of the first half to cover the first half number. Their MO is to jump on teams and hold them off. And the one thing that's really scary about this team at the moment, aside from all the stuff we know, is the, the the three games they lost, they lost to Tennessee, who was coming off basically a two-week bye and had a stone in their shoe because the world was mad at them uh, because they were the ones upsetting everybody's schedule. And the Bills had to prepare for them in Kansas City that week. So be it. It was a relatively close game, and then the Titans blew it out in the fourth quarter. Then the next week, on a short week, they got to play Kansas City, I think it was a Tuesday afternoon, and they lost 26-17. And everybody talks about that game like the Bills had been murdered. And the fact of the matter is they couldn't have played any worse. And with four minutes to go in the game, they had the Chiefs on third and 15 down six. And Mahomes ran for the first down and they tacked on a field goal. The ball could have got back to Josh Allen's hands to go down and win the game. So it wasn't like they were murdered. But the truth of the matter was the Tennessee game and the Kansas City game, Josh Allen was hurt those weeks. They played the Raiders. He popped his shoulder out before halftime of the Raiders game. He was playing with a brace on his shoulder in those two weeks, and nobody talks about that. The only other game they lost, Allen drove him down the field, threw the touchdown pass to Diggs, and won the game, and the Bills lost on a Hail Mary. But the play of the Bills are saying the Hail Mary was the best thing that ever happened to him. And if you look at them the rest of the way coming in, going into the bye instead of pouting, they learned a lesson of not – taking their foot off the pedal. And against the Patriots and the Dolphins, even with the lead, they kept throwing deep passes and started stepping on teams next the way Brady did for all those years. They learned the lesson. We can't let teams hang around. They do start fast. I'm laying the four with Buffalo in the first half. I mean, I, I'm, I just can't get away from that. Um, it's it, To me, this is the scary one. You know, Okay, great. You've won the division for the first time in 25 years. Well, you haven't won a playoff game in forever. Uh, They lost to Jacksonville when they got in the first year. Tyrod Taylor, first and goal from the one through a pick. And the first touchdown was going to win that game. And then last year, they had the lead on Houston and pissed it away. So it's all great and it's all bells and whistles right now. But they got to win one. And if they win this one, then look out. So... Uh, you know, it's Philip Rivers. It's Frank Wright coming back to Buffalo. You got to always have the little subplots in these stories. If Jonathan Taylor runs the ball down their throat, they shorten the game and Rivers protects the football. You know, Indy, hey, Indy was my pick to, to go to the Super Bowl before the season. Well, and and I, oh, by the, oh, by the way, the Bills got them in. The, the Bills got them in by beating the Dolphins. So the, the Bills made, you know, made their own bet here. No, I think those are all excellent points there. And, and you think back even to the Pittsburgh game, Buffalo dominated the second half of that one. Same thing that game with Denver dominated the second half of that one. So this is a Buffalo team I think is very dangerous. And, and you know, I like what you brought up about the games that they lost. There are very clear-cut reasons why they lost those games. I mean, the Arizona game was largely bad luck, a great play by Hopkins. You know, the, the Kansas City game, they were right in it, playing on a short week against – the team that look let's be honest is still the number one seed in the afc and they could though- honestly and in that game Allen was hurt but in that game they couldn't have played any worse i mean it, it was 
I mean, they played a couple of bad games this year. One was the Jets. They beat the Jets 18-10. They played poorly against Kansas City and had a chance in that game. Well, and, and I look at Indianapolis here, and, you know, really they were close to losing both Houston games in the month of December. You know, the Vegas game, they just kind of took over in the second half where Vegas just couldn't really stop anybody. They lose the game to Pittsburgh. They blow a big lead in that one. And then, you know, workmanlike, I guess we'll call it against Jacksonville last week. But, you know, Jacksonville, really not much to play for. And and the Colts even had some dicey moments in that game in the third quarter. So that's the thing here that you kind of look at is, you know, Indianapolis is not playing particularly well coming into the playoffs, even though they've won four of their last five. They really haven't been all that impressive in terms of performances. Buffalo absolutely rolling. This is a spot to me where if I'm Buffalo, I'm glad I don't have a bye. I don't want to go a week without playing with the way that they're currently playing. So I don't know what I would do here. I think Buffalo first half is definitely a good look there minus the four. They do start fast. And also Indianapolis, I mean, look, Houston has Deshaun Watson, but they haven't faced an offense nearly as efficient as this one since what, the second Tennessee game, I guess. So this is going to be a situation for Indianapolis where they're going to have to kind of adjust on the fly to a game that they haven't seen a whole lot of lately. I think Buffalo can start very fast. So first half, first quarter, something like that makes sense. I I would say, that can Indy win the game? Absolutely. Um, but I think maybe the weather looks like it's going to be 30 degrees. You know, it's an afternoon game. Uh, now the wind can swirl there. So, you know, got to check that on game day but the weather it doesn't look like it's as torturous you know lake effect day there i i the move to the under surprises me a little bit uh the, the bills are clicking and and they're putting points up on everybody and and say they come out of the gate and they do put points up the one thing i we've watched rivers do this his whole career and teams do this it drives me nuts if the bills get the you know say the bills are up 14 you know They'll do it. They all they all do it. It's infuriating to me. They'll go to the they'll go to the cover two, and Rivers will drive them down the field, and it'll take four minutes maybe, and, and they'll score. And I think the over is the play. I I think you know Taylor can they can run the ball. Rivers if they go to a prevent defensive Buffalo the backdoor cover would be in play, but the total I think I think the Bills are the way their offense is going. Right now, Adam, they're feeling their oats. I mean, you'd be you got to think the Bills are at worst would get 27, 28 points. They're probably in the 30s. And I think the Colts will do their fair share in this game as well. I, I don't I'm not on board with the move to the under. If anything, I would have thought the total could have gone up a little bit. All right. So let's look at the next game on the board here. The first one in the NFC between the Rams and the Seahawks. And you know, it, it seems like if you kind of read between the lines here, and Ian Rappaport did have a tweet yesterday uh, regarding the status of Jared Goff, and it seems like there's a lot of pessimism right now as to whether or not Jared Goff will be able to play in this game. The Rams and John Wolford did what they had to do last week to get in. They beat the Cardinals. But now this is a different kind of animal taking on the Seahawks, who are a four-and-a-half or five-point favorite, depending on where you look. Total 43 for this one. Obviously, it's a tough handicap to talk about four or five days in advance of the game because we don't know about the status of golf. But what's sort of your mindset here for this one, Brian? Well, I start by saying I was dead wrong. On December 27th, the rematch between Seattle and the Rams. Well, I was right. I had Seattle. Uh, But I thought the second game... I thought they would go up and down the field. I really did. I thought the first game maybe was a bit of an anomaly uh, where the Rams won 23-16. Wilson didn't throw touchdown passes. They got a couple of picks. And I thought the the second game would be different. They go up and down the field. And that game ended up being 20-9 and everybody was healthy. Uh, The Rams' defense is spectacular. So you, you throw Ramsey on Metcalf. And by the way, Seattle, I don't know what happened to them. It was the weirdest back third of a season because in the beginning, it was Wilson slinging it all over creation. Then you lost the running backs. You had no running game. You think he'd throw it even more. And they got their play calling just got really conservative. And I know there's no, you know, no tomorrow now. You, everything's on the table. 
But man, you look at it, uh, Seattle, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games went under the total before this game against the Niners went over the total by four points. Seattle's turned into a dead under team and the Rams questions at quarterback. I I think play it safe and just go under 43. What would be different? Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. And also too, something you've keyed in on and and you've, there was a very astute point that you made here about Seattle that, you know, when they started getting some guys, Jamal Adams and Carlos Dunlap specifically, that defense got a hell of a lot better. I mean, you look at them in the first half of the year and teams are regularly putting up point totals in the thirties on them. But since that Buffalo game, the 44, 34 loss, I mean, 23, 21, 17, 17, three, 15, nine, 23, they've done a very quality job defensively. And you can obviously point out, I mean, look, they played, you know, Philadelphia, who's bad. The giants who have a bad offense. The jets are terrible. Washington has no offense. So yeah, you can poke holes in it that way and say they haven't played a lot of good offenses, but then you look at this game and you say, okay, it's probably John Wolford. You know, it, they didn't have Cooper Cup last week because of COVID protocols. Maybe he comes back this week. Maybe he doesn't. But this Rams offense isn't great either. So for Seattle here, I agree. I think that their defense should have success here. I think the Rams defense has a certain measure of success. Something else I think is really interesting about this game is that you mentioned that game on December 27th. Seattle was a three and a half point favorite at home. Right now, Seattle's a four and a half or five point favorite at home. The difference between Jared Goff and John Wolford is more than a point or a point and a half. I know people don't really like Jared Goff and I understand why, but the difference between those two guys with Wolford making possibly his second career NFL start is definitely more than a point or a point and a half. So if and when Goff is ruled out of this game, and I think there's a good chance that he will be, especially with this being a day earlier on Saturday as opposed to Sunday, this line probably goes to five and a half, six, something like that. So if you want to speculate and get a little bit of line value on Seattle here, minus four and a half, I think that's justifiable. But as you said, with a low scoring expectation here in both of our minds, it does get a little bit scary to lay points. I'll, I'll play a player prop in this game. Um, I think the under is the way to go. But I think the Rams come in, you know, you, th- you throw Ramsey on Metcalf. Okay, that's a great starting point. Uh, that's a pay-per-view matchup to watch. But they're still saying the guy that can beat us is Russell Wilson. And I think Seattle's really gone out of their way. And a, they've been more conservative with their play calls, but I think it's a function of Wilson reading the play and taking what the defense gives them. And I think it will persist that – the ability or the opportunity to run the ball is going to be there. Carson had 16 carries for 69 yards in the last game. I would play Carson over a rushing prop. I, I bet you they probably put something up in the something in the 55, 56 range for Chris Carson rushing the football. I think that that player prop, I, I think inside that game, that might be the guy that has an opportunity to do something because the Rams are going to try to keep everything in front of them and, and contain Wilson. So the guy that will have an opportunity, I think will be Carson running against the defense, the Rams throw at them. And of course, when you think about it, you know, Seattle is in a favorite role here, probably no Jared Goff, probably John Wolford. You would expect looking at this game, sort of looking at the game state of this game, that Seattle is playing from in front. So if they are playing from in front, that would certainly benefit Carson and his opportunities, not only to get touches, but also to get yards with those touches. So I think that makes a lot of sense there from you. Brian, the last game here for Saturday, as you mentioned, they put Tom Brady in primetime here. The Buccaneers laying eight and a half on the road at Washington, total 45 and a half for this one. And, uh, you know, Tampa Bay, they, they look like the team everybody expected them to be here late in the season, especially on the offensive side. But this is a very feisty, very good Washington defense. And that's a pretty big road number in the playoffs. In fact, uh, I think it's the biggest road number since St. Seahawks uh, back in like maybe 2007 or something like that. I'll fact check that while you're talking. Uh, uh, well, this game is, is a weird one. It's an absolute correlated parlay. If you like the Bucks, it's Bucks and over. If you like 
the Redskins, the game absolutely is an under game. The one thing I would say is Brady in recent weeks, all right, you beat the Falcons, you know, the shootout, you beat the Lions who, uh, by the way, didn't have their head coach Bevel uh, in that game. And they, they torched them. They beat the Falcons. They only put 26 up on the Vikings, who, according to Zimmer, has the worst defense he's ever had. And they played a great game against the Chiefs and lost 27-24. Brady's a stationary target. Against this defense, he's not going to have the time to sit there and throw these bombs, you know, long pass after long pass. I think everything that the Patriots are going to have to do here will be much more dink and dunk than they've been accustomed to because this pass rush can terrorize Brady. And the key for them is hit him as much as they can and put him on the seat of his pants. It's a tough call. I mean, Tampa Bay could have flat out blow them out. The only thing I would say to you, bud, I've been saying this for over 10 weeks. I'm sure we said it on this podcast as well. This, and I mean, way back, the way back machine, like in October, when the NFC East is historically bad. Say, who knows who the hell wins that division? And the odds are whoever wins that division is not going to have a winning record. We were even drinking jokes. Could a five-win team win the division? But we said, you watch. They're going to get in. Somebody's going to win that division, and they're going to be catching a boatload of points at home in a playoff game. And don't be surprised if that NFC East champ, you know, wins a game. So I, I just know we've said it way too much to ignore that fact that the bottom line is they're in. You can laugh at them all you want, but this is a second season. They're playing. And a lot of teams aren't. Yeah, the Saints were a 10-point favorite against the Seahawks back in 2011. That was a 7-9 and Seahawks team, won the NFC West, Matt Hasselbeck at quarterback. And by the way, the Seahawks won that game. So I'm not saying that there's, you know. And if memory serves me right, was that not the team that then went to play Green Bay and it went to overtime, and that's when Hasselbeck said they won the coin toss. He said, we'll take the ball, and we're going to win the game. I mean, they almost won up at Green Bay, and they ended up losing that game in overtime. But like, It's a new season, bud. Not sure if it was that or if they – I think they might have gone and played Chicago the next week on the road uh, and wound up losing that game. But the thing of it is, I mean, look, and it's one data point, but it just sort of speaks to – I mean, look, Washington is – there for a reason. And, and many people will say that the reason is because their division sucked. And that's fine. You can say that if you want to. This is a playoff caliber Washington defense. There's no question about that whatsoever. As you said, Brady a stationary target. And something else here about this game, and, and I don't know how much this factors in because the offense is a lot different for Tampa Bay now with Brady, with what Arians has been able to do with Brady. Ron Rivera knows a lot about that Tampa Bay personnel from all of his years there with Carolina, you know, playing in that division. So I don't think Washington is drawing completely dead here. I mean, they could get blown out. It is a possibility, but if I'm betting this game, I'm taking Washington plus nine. You know, I think that they can keep this game close. Tampa Bay's defense was not good in the second half of the year. It was great in the first half. It wasn't great in the second half. That's going to put the onus and the pressure on Brady and that offense to put up a lot of points. And I just don't see that being the case against this Washington defense. So and I'll agree. Know. I'll agree with you, but I'll disagree with you. I'll agree with you. The Washington can keep it close, but I think the safer of the two options, if you do believe Washington keeps it close, it's a low scoring game. And I think that's safer to play that than it is to take the eight points. I mean, I it's, it's yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's the only thing I would disagree with. I, I do believe Washington can hang around in this game and, and it's not going to shock me in the least, but you know, how many points will they put up? But if they, and, and the thing is with them and the bears who have, are playing the saints, when you're a dog like that, you got one shot to win this game and that's win the turnover battle. Well, both the Redskins and the bears have defenses that are capable of creating turnovers. And, you know, I mean, on paper, they got to win the turnover battle. Let's say at the end of this game, if, if the Redskins are anywhere near this uh, covering that number, they won the turnover battle. Well, I guess to, to sort of piggyback my point here, the other thing that I would say is if Tampa Bay is leading this game in the second half, and again, the line certainly implies that they will be, 
they're not going to put Brady in harm's way with that pass rush. I mean, they're, they're just going to run the football, get the hell out of Dodge, plan on the next game. So there's also that that sort of not only lends itself to liking Washington, but especially lends itself to the under as well, or even a second half under sure. play, a derivative play, something like that. You know, Bruce Arians is not an idiot. He's not going to let Chase Young sit there and take shots at his at Tom Brady when they have another game to play if they're leading. So there's also that too, thinking about sort of the game state and how this plays out. If Tampa Bay's up a couple of scores in the second half, they are running the football and trying to get out of there without getting anybody hurt. They're not going to let Evans run a bunch of routes. They're not going to let Godwin run all over the field. They're not going to let Brady get hit. They're going to run the football, try to rely on that defense, force that bad Washington offense to beat them. So there's also that too. So I think that there's a lot of compelling evidence here really for the under, as you said, but I think that I can make a pretty strong case for Washington too. Yeah. I mean, and then when it's all said and done, you know, the, the bucks win from you know, 47 to 10. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's a weird game. You know, I mean, it, I, it's almost the karmatic thing that the NFC East has been a punchline all year long. And then they show up and go, see, we're a pro football team. You can make fun of us all you want. That that seems to happen more than the, the, the team that gets when, when you get made fun of and you're always the pinata there's, and it's a playoff game and you're already motivated, but there's just, that's something, you know, we'll show you. Yeah. 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 We look terrible. Yeah, maybe the division was better than you thought because we we're all cannibalizing each other. It's a bunch of hooey. They're all bad, but doesn't mean they can't cover or even win this game. All right, so we go to the first game on Sunday here, the early game, Baltimore, Tennessee, Baltimore, three and a half point road favorite here, total 55. My guess here, Brian, is that the longer we go into the week with Baltimore favored like this, the more we're going to see public money on Tennessee. I don't think that'll be the sharp side here. I think we could see a sharp versus public split in this game. But a lot of people are going to look at Tennessee and say, well, look at what they do offensively. Look at what they did last year to Baltimore. And they're going to back Tennessee here, especially if it's still three and a half or a cheaper three. But there's a reason why Baltimore is favored here in this game. And it's actually the side that I kind of lean with. Yeah, I'm I'm sorry. I don't know that I'd go the sharp or the the public thing on this. I'm not overthinking this. You're giving me Tennessee and Derrick Henry at home, and uh, you know, bet it now because it's going to close three. I mean, I in Tennessee, by the way, you know they made it to the AFC Championship game last year. You know, Lamar Jackson in an MVP year. These guys took them out. I know Tennessee can't stop anybody, but I tell you, I'm a big fan of Rabel and. You know, the, the way, easy for me to say, but the way to play the Ravens is to rush of three guys. It's don't blitz this guy. He, he will make plays when he escapes and run the football. There's a way to beat this guy, and that's to make him be a quarterback from the pocket. And they're going to get theirs because across the board, Tennessee is a train wreck. But Malcolm Butler's a big play guy. If they can force the right turnover at the right time, you know, I, and you're, and if they, and if they get the lead, here you go. Here's your steady dose of Henry. If Tennessee's up by three with five minutes to go, they can close the game out running the football. So here's the thing though. People are going to cite last year's game and that's fine. They're, they're, Certainly capable of doing that. And again, Tennessee won against the Baltimore team, as you said, with Lamar Jackson, you know, in an MVP season. Ravens were minus 10 last year. But the Ravens outgained Tennessee 530 to 300. The Ravens were minus three in turnovers. They were 0 for 4 on fourth down. It wasn't all garbage yards for Baltimore either because this was a 14 to 6 game at halftime. Now, they did have some long drives in the fourth quarter where Tennessee was just kind of playing punt and, you know, move on. But this Baltimore team did move the ball. They didn't move the ball in spurts. They had that long field goal drive right before halftime that if that's a touchdown, that game looks a whole lot different. But they had the third quarter turnovers that really, really hurt them in a lot of ways. They marched on this Tennessee defense. And I would expect them to do the same thing here. 
Lamar's not having the same year. He's not a great passer, as we all know. But I think using that one data point from last year, I think it's, I don't want to call it short-sighted because that sounds kind of offensive, but it doesn't factor into the equation that Baltimore was coming off a bye, played probably their worst game of the year, did not take care of the football. A lot of things fell in Tennessee's favor, especially when Tennessee was the hottest team in the NFL going into the playoffs. Tennessee is not the hottest team in the NFL going into these playoffs. They struggled again with Houston in week 17. They got blown away by Green Bay the week prior. Took advantage of a bad Detroit team before that. Tennessee is not in the same spot that they were going into last year's playoffs. Baltimore is the team that's playing at a very high level right now. We can make a side bet on this game if you want. Okay, okay, let's do it. Because I will say this to you. The Tennessee thing, they're playing in the snow in Green Bay, and it was like a skating rink. It was like they had the wrong shoes on. The Packers were running around like it was in a playground. Have throw that game out, and then the Houston game. We talked about it last week. These guys have professional pride. Look out, Houston's going to give them everything they got because you had the JJ Watt speech calling every one of those guys out. And don't be here if you're not, you know. And and you knew you were getting Houston's best shot because those guys were playing for jobs. And JJ Watt called them out. So I think there were little subplots inside those two games. Now go to Baltimore side of the. A month ago, they were on the outside looking in. And believe me, they win the miracle game against your Browns with Lamar Jackson coming out of the locker room. All right? They don't win that game. They're not in the playoffs. All right? So they win the miracle game. And now, oh, look out, the Ravens. They beat the Jags, the Giants, and the Bengals. Who cares? Everybody's going nuts about the Ravens. They beat the Jags, the Giants, and the Bengals. And if they didn't win the game against the Browns, we wouldn't even be talking about them. All right, so three and a half is the number. Uh, I don't know if you want to decide here on the spot what we're going to play on it or if you want to talk about it after the show, but it's not, well, you and I are on opposing sides the, here. So the next, the, next time, the next time you come out here, all right, um, pizza, wings, and beer. Deal. Sounds good to me. All right. Are we are we doing Naked City in honor of Buffalo? No, I'll tell you. We tell where we go. We go to a uh, place called the Tap House, Perfect. which is, by the way, the biggest Browns bar in the town. Sounds good to me. All right. There so go. there we go. I got Baltimore minus three and a half. Brian's got plus three and a half. Pizza, beer, and wings on the line here in that one. Last game for us to talk about here on the NFL side: Chicago and New Orleans. Saints laying 10, 47 The total, a total that has come down. Uh, about a point and a half here, which to me implies bad things for the Bears because defensively, they haven't been as great, I think, as we expected. And it's really been the offense that got them back into that playoff race and got them to a position where they were able to back in to the postseason. I don't know. This is the least attractive betting game for me here in the wild card weekend uh, with New Orleans laying 10 and 47. Yeah, it's an odd one. I just, I've got this. I mean, it could, it could be absolutely be a boat race, but there's something telling me this Bears defense can step up and create some turnovers and hang around in this game. And I, I of all the games, as you said, the maybe the least opinion on it, but it would be the Bears for me. I think the I think it's inflated a little bit. Kamara, I, th- I think he'll go. If he doesn't go, then it's really an I Emmy mean, Latavius Murray can run the football. But Breeze just doesn't stretch the field anymore. And, you know, and they've got that the Taysom Hill infatuation thing where they'll have packages for him in the red zone. It's, just, it's not this high-flying Saints team uh, to me. And maybe I'm wrong on that. I mean, they, they put up – well, they've lost to the Lions, put 36 on the – uh, Texans shredded the Vikings defense, which is horrible. Uh, and then, you know, hammered the Jags. I, I don't know, but I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think I'd take the points. I really do. I, I'm not in love with the game, but I take the points. Well, and of course, as we're looking at this, I mean, you know, you're sort of talking about an expectation in the 28 to 18 type of range, 29, 19 in terms of, you know, team totals and all of that. So, if that's where Chicago is going to end up in that 17 to 20 range, 
can New Orleans get you 30? I think that's the, the big question here. And, you know, a lot of times I ask myself with an underdog, how many points do they need to score to cover? In this case, I asked myself with the favorite, how many points do they need to score to cover? Can they hold Chicago to 14, 17, even lower than that? Because like you, I don't know if we see a big offensive barrage here from the Saints that gets them into the 30s. I'm not entirely sure. So like I said, if if I had to play anything here, it would probably be Chicago plus the 10, just almost, I don't want to say on principle, but just because it's the more attractive side. But I think of the six games, this is one I won't have any piece of. And and I get their different times of a season, but – I mean, do you look back at the regular season game? Foles was the quarterback, and the Saints won it in overtime. You know, it was 26-23. It's, it is a rematch game. I don't think not a lot of people are talking about that. And now the Bears' offense is more efficient with Trubisky. Look at Breeze. 31, so this is what you're talking about, again, with the Saints. Breeze went 31 of 41 in that game for 280. Average length of path of reception was 6.8 yards. I mean, everything's underneath. There's, there, you know, they don't stretch the field. And Kamara, I mean, they won the game. Kamara got his, but the Bears were in it. He had 12 carries for 67 yards and another nine catches for 96 yards. But the, the wide receivers at the time, Michael Thomas wasn't playing. But none of the wide receivers did anything in that game. I, I, I just think the points are the safer play here. All right. So let's transition away from the NFL and let's go uh, to a place. I think both you and I wish we were at. And and last year in advance of this tournament, we joked about how we should be doing both of our shows, mine and yours remote from Kapalua here, the century tournament of champions. Maybe that's the side bet. Maybe that's the side bet. You'd be except an expensive no, side bet. I say nobody will pay it off. <laughs> yeah, the, the winner of our side bet takes the other guy to next year's tournament at Campbellow. <laughs> yeah, I I tell you what, I'd love to be there. I was supposed to be in Maui uh, in in April this past year, but you know, obviously COVID happened. Uh, but the players will be in Maui here this week for the tournament of champions. 45 players qualified for this field. It was the winners of last year's tournaments and then the top 30 for the tour championship, which is an adjustment that the PGA tour made because 10 events were canceled last year. Uh, three players, not on hand, Rory McElroy, Ty Hatton and Jim Herman, which if I'm Jim Herman, I don't know why I skipped this tournament, but in any event, he actually is. So 42 players in the field here, Dustin Johnson, the favorite, Anywhere I've seen six to one, I've seen 11 to one. It's kind of all over the place out there. Justin Thomas, second favorite, seven to one, eight to one, nine to one in that range. Both DJ and JT, two time winners of this event. Rom, DeChambeau, Shoffley, Patrick Reed is a winner and two time runner up. Hideki Matsuyama, he's a three time top five guy. Great field, exceptional players. It's a tough handicap, Brian, as you and I talked about before the show, because you got to pick a really, really good player and hope he just happens to be better than a lot of other really good players. Yeah, it, I can't wait. It's one of my, it's one of my favorite events. And I, I go back to the days when I was back East, what I loved about it was it was primetime golf and you were, you were starved from the layoff of golf. The layoff really is not that long anymore with the revamped schedule, but I love the course. Um, the, the wind can really be a factor here. If, if the wind's laying down, these guys eat this course up. But it's a fun event. And from the handicap perspective, you're right. It's tough because you're coming off the shelf. And it's tough because you just rattled off Johnson, Thomas, Rom, DeChambeau, Shoffley, Reed, uh, Matsuyama, Cantley, Simpson, Fina, Hovland, Morikawa, the, the good young players in this game. You know, the next best thing is out there. I mean, it, it, there's so many guys that can win every week now. That's why I think always on the front end, unless you're just dead dead certain you've got a guy that's there, you got to go price hunting, you know, and then you come back and you take one of the named players on Friday that's four shots back at 20 to one. You get a better price than you get at the start of the tournament. There's no cut here. Uh, Justin Thomas, the defending champ, the guy that, you know, makes sense at 10 to one is 
Shoffley won it two years ago and lost in a playoff last year. So clearly Shoffley plays well on this course. Patrick Reed lost in a playoff last year. But from the price hunting perspective, there are two. One you and I were talking about a little bit uh, before. I always used to look at Australians in this tournament because it's summer in Australia and those guys would go home and they were playing tournaments over there and they'd come back in way better form than most of the other guys who went over there and treated this like a vacation. Uh, you had Appleby, I think, won it a bunch of times. Ogilvy won it back-to-back years, I believe. So the Australians, you always take a look at. So we, we looked at uh, Mark Leishman, who's a great wind player. At 80-1, to one's a wonderful price. And they're all coming off the shelf. So I think Leishman makes sense. And then I would kick myself, if you were looking at Australians, you don't sleep on an Adam Scott is, is sitting there at 55-1. to one. And I'm assuming he's playing. Uh, he is. How about the price? Cameron Smith is only 35 to 1. So there's your Australian contingent. But I, I think Leishman and maybe, like I said, uh, Scott has a higher ball flight. It gets windy here. Uh, I think Leishman would be the best and maybe Smith. But the other guy, once we we're uh, going through this and I was doing a little more homework on a guy I take a look at, Adam, is Daniel Berger at 30 to 1. Because Berger was phenomenal. He had a wrist injury and his game was off kilter. And and all of a sudden he's healthy again. But don't forget how good Daniel Berger was off the shelf when golf returned this summer. He contended like every week. He won. He, he, I think Berger is a little under the radar because I don't know if he tailed off a little bit on the back end of the year, but coming off the shelf, Daniel Berger was phenomenal in the summer. So I'll say Berger and Leishman would be my top guys. Yeah, I like Leishman here quite a bit. I think that's a pretty good one to look at. Another guy that kind of crossed my mind a little bit, and and I, in fact, I've written a preview over at both bangthebook.com and ATS.io, and I didn't mention him. Victor Hovland at 20 to 1. When you look at Hovland's two wins here on the PGA Tour, Puerto Rico – and Mayakoba. Coastal uh-huh. courses, wind is a factor, all that. We know Hovland is a very, very strong player. Hovland wins at Mayakoba, then goes over to Dubai and finishes third over in the championship event on the European Tour. So in terms of guys with recent form that was, you know, three weeks to a month ago, Hovland's played really well in his last two events. Maybe that's not a bad one to look at. Another guy in that 20 range, Tony Finau is at 22 to 1. And this is an event where the fairways are like airport runways. I mean, it's very hard to miss a fairway here. This course is extremely long, but you're going to play from the short grass. You know, there's a 680-yard par 5 on 18. Very long. We know Finau can put it out there. We know he hits it a long way. And something that I sort of found a correlation with, and I'm not taking him this week, but Hideki Matsuyama is a guy that hits the ball a mile. He's a terrible putter. But he's got three top five finishes here which would imply to me that putting's not super important on this course. Finau is not a great putter. I think he's a better putter than Matsuyama, but he's a guy that does hit the ball a long way. So Hovland, Finau, and Leishman uh, would be the three that I'm kind of looking at here. And then maybe as a sort of a flyer play, if you could find the best price out there, Cameron Champ's another guy that hits the ball a country mile. He's in the 50, 55 to one range. Uh, He's a guy that maybe I'll consider. He's off the board right now for me in terms of, you know, Hovland, Finau, and Leishman being my top three. But Champ is a guy that's on my short list to take a deeper look at. Yeah, and, well, it's no surprise, by the way, Patrick Reed lost in a playoff here. Patrick Reed, he plays the ball flight. If the wind is a factor, Patrick Reed is a great wind player, plays a draw, plays knockdown shots, and he is – Reed is absolutely a – would be a, on a short list too. Um uh, I'll throw one at you, and if I'm reading this right, we haven't seen him. Uh, is that right? Let's see here. Uh, no, okay. Yeah, he missed, he missed a, a couple of cuts. But Jason Kokrak won at Shadow Creek here in Vegas. He almost won, if I'm not mistaken, at Colonial in the first tournament off the shelf. He shot a, a ridiculous final round. But he also has won 
uh, in mid-October, and he hits it a mile. Uh, form tailed off after he got the win, but coming back rejuvenated off the shelf, there's a guy hits it a country mile. Uh, Jason Kokrak's a bomb price, too. So some good stuff to look at there. And, of course, as Brian always suggests, take a look on Friday. See who's a few shots off the pace. This is a scoring course to par 73. It is long, but you can score here. So some of those big hitters that are maybe three, four, five shots back heading into Saturday, uh, maybe some prices that you'll want to take a look at there. Brian, in the interest of time, let's go ahead and do the short or the smallest division here in the NHL, the North Division, maybe better known as the Canadian Division. Toronto, Edmonton, Montreal, Vancouver, Calgary, Winnipeg, and Ottawa. In that order for the division, Maple Leafs plus 135, Oilers 4-1, to one, Montreal 5-1, to one, same price as Vancouver, Calgary 550, Jets 12, Senators 25, taking these numbers here from BetMGM Sportsbook. And what's going to be really intriguing here about this North division, this Canadian division, we talk about the rivalry factors, and we discussed that last week on the show, but... There are some definite rivalries here in this division where we may find some, you know, situational betting spots here that could be, you know, quite valuable. Like what I talked about last week about maybe fading both the Oilers and the Flames after they played games against each other. Oh yeah, I mean those will be those will be bloodbaths. They'll be great. I, you know, up there, it, it, I, I'm going to actually go with Edmonton. Uh, to win that division. I mean, you got the starting point where you've got McDavid and Dreisaitl. And the goaltending, you got Koskinen and Mike Smith. Not setting the world on fire, but I think Koskinen really started to find his legs at the end of last year. Has grown into a, you know, he's no he's no spring chicken, but he's been getting his chance. Kind of like Edmonton. Toronto score a boatload of points. The defense is still real sketchy. The team, I think, that's going to be – there are two teams. One, I think the, – the, well, what Vancouver is interesting because they, they felt good about themselves the way they played in the bubble. Young team, good goaltending, uh, and I, I, I think they, they're primed to take a step forward. But Montreal, to me – what the Canadians have done, this is a good young team with a lot of good young guys that are, are trending in the right direction. And they made some wonderful uh, – Bergeron's done just a, a great job with this team. Uh, he made some really nice additions. I think Montreal – and you got Carey Price. But what this guy's done with some of the guys he's brought in, I think watch out for Montreal. They brought some veteran leaders in there. They got guys that aren't fun to play against. Like Gallagher's going to be living in, in the crease. I, I think the Habs are going to make the playoffs. That would be my, my price play. And the other one is in three years, Ottawa is going to be a cup contender for a long time. <laughs> I mean, Montreal, Ottawa, and I think they hang around for a long time this year. They got so, so many good young players and prospects. The Stutzel kid's going to come in. He's going to be an impact player for him right out of the gate. I think Ottawa hangs around. But there's just something to, to me about Montreal's trending the right way, and they made the additions of getting Corey Perry, and as a Gallagher is a guy that lives in the goalie's grill, and they got Josh Anderson from Columbus. They are not going to be fun to play against. I, I think Montreal's the up-and-comer. You know, I think what's really challenging about this division, and, and we talked about this when we took a look at the Central, and we talked about the goaltending and, you know, how important that's going to be. And in particular, you know, having a backup goaltender. In this division, I think the goaltending is pretty suspect across the board. Connor Hellebuck, obviously great for the Jets, but not much of a team in front of him. The Flames pick up Jacob Markstrom, who was great for the Canucks in the bubble last year, uh, or last season, I guess I should say. Um, you know, Markstrom, I think that's a big upgrade for the Flames. The Canucks, I mean, is it Demko? Is it Holtby? You know, what are they going to do there with that situation? I don't love the goaltending for Toronto. I don't love the goaltending for Edmonton. I don't know what's left of the top end of Carey Price, who, you know, was obviously a Vezina Trophy contender for years and years and years. You know, what's left in the tank for that guy? Can he still be, you know, that going. those numbers? Keep I going. Think, I think that's the hard thing here, man. I think the it, well, thing in this division is just 
top to bottom, not good. And that leads to probably a little bit of a higher variance division, I think. Well, again, I come back to Ottawa. Now, all the young studs they've got, they made a trade. They get Derek Stepan in. They get Dadnoff that comes over. Um, they get Anisimov. And you look at the young players they've got. They get Austin Watson, uh, who's a kind of a physical presence. But now you're going to be adding this Tim Stutzla in there uh, along with Brady Kachuk. But what they've got on the blue line, Thomas Shabbat, they get offense from the blue line. I think Eric Brandstrom's a prospect that Vegas traded to get Mark Stone. They let him ferment in the minors. I think he makes this team. I think he's going to have be very good for them. And they drafted Sanderson with the fifth overall pick, another promising young defenseman. But the one, and we'll see if it works, but they get Matt Murray. Murray won, you know, won cups. And you wonder if it was just time and a change of scenery. I mean, I'm not like the, a huge Matt Murray fan, but it would it shock me if he comes over here in the change of scenery and you get a short-term bump from that and a great season out of Matt Murray. I'm not saying Ottawa's making the playoffs, but I think they're within shouting distance of it with 10 games to go. I Watch out for Ottawa. They are not going to be a, an easy out. Well, and of course, in this division with only seven teams, you know, the top four still make the playoffs. So, uh -huh. you know, that certainly brings Ottawa, uh, you know, into some level of contention for the playoffs. And, you know, it's one of those things where, like I said, I think you're going to have a lot of good spot play opportunities uh, because as I talked about the goaltending, just not great overall in this division, you've got some bad blood rivalries and all of that. So I think on a game by game basis, this is going to be much easier than taking a look at the overall picture, but you know, Hey, it should still be a very interesting division there North of the border. Brian, last thing I got to ask you, man, tonight, USA, Canada, world junior gold medal game. Who do you like? Yeah, good question. It's going to be great. I mean, that was a great game, USA and Finland. Finland is a nightmare. I love the way the Finns play hockey. I, I, I always, they're one of my favorite countries to watch. I that. always play Finland in those kind of tournaments. I didn't, I didn't, there was nothing available out here. I whatever. I didn't play it, but I just, I love the Finns. They, they, they just, they came back at the U.S. and then the U.S. gets the late goal from, um, how you say Kaliev? Kaliev, uh, yeah. What a wrist shot. Oh, that was great. Hard fought game went right down to the wire. Canada's an all-star team. There's no getting around it, but this U S team Watch their third line. Those guys are playing their lungs out. Zegras has been great for the U S team. Good team speed. It's going to come down to, you know, Spencer Knight's going to have to have a great game. And I think us has a big shot in this game. Uh, you know, from a pressure perspective, on home soil, you know, these Canadian kids, they live for this. The country lives for this. The pressure's on Canada. I, I think the U.S. has something for them. But, you know, Canada's just loaded deep. It's funny. I can't wait. As soon as this ends, Dylan Cousins is going to go play for the Sabres. Uh, you know, he or Zegers will be the player of the tournament, depending on who wins the game tonight. And I've been watching this Dylan Cousins, and I'm like, I'm trying to figure out who's he play like. It dawned on me, he's – he really plays like Mark Stone. I've, I've never – this kid, he just creates turnovers, swat stick out of the ice, and the puck just always ends up on his stick. They're loaded. They're, they're just great players, both sides, high octane, high passion. Uh, Canada's you know, a deserving favorite, but I think the U.S. has the team speed to give them fits, and it's going to be on the goalie, and I, I, think, I think Knight can do it. I, I, I think the U.S. wins. I certainly hope so. Should be a great game tonight on NHL Network, and it's not overly difficult, not that I should promote this, but it's not too hard to find a stream of the game if you don't have NHL Network. Just make sure that you find something that's safe and secure uh, as opposed to it's you know, a great some sort tournament. of shady link. Oh, great yeah. oh, tournament. I love it. It's, and then, by the way, you know, I have just one quick note. We got to go because you and I are doing yeah. another thing soon, and if I don't leave, I, we ain't doing it. <laughs> but, but, but the um, – I would watch the beginning of the NHL season and compare it to how this tournament went. Because in the beginning, I'm focused on a, a couple of three or four of the Sabres prospects. And I'm obviously focused on the Golden Knights prospects for the radio show we do here. So yeah, I'm watching some of these individuals and watching the, the, the early games of the tournament and go, okay, you know, he's fine. You know, I thought he'd be more. 
it's amazing. You get three, four games into the tournament, and you're going, whoa, okay, there it is. That's that's what I was hoping for. Are you? These kids had not played hockey since last February. You know, so it, the tournament built and built where teams got better, but the individual guys shook off the rust. And so don't lose sight of the fact there are seven NHL teams that didn't make the playoffs and hadn't played hockey or played a game since last March. So that's going to be a factor in the first week, first two weeks of the NHL season. Who's able to come out of the gate good? If you find somebody that looked really good in their first game, ride them. If you find somebody that really looked out of sorts, fade them for 10 days to two weeks because they are shaking off rust. You, you cannot mimic game speed on in-house scrimmages. No, that's an excellent point. Lots of excellent points on today's show with Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. And Brian, how can people check out those two shows of yours? All right, Adam, uh, pretty much everything's on my Twitter at Brian Blessing. We put the show links up there. Sportsbook Radio, we've been doing forever. Got picked up by the Sports Grid Radio Network, and now I do an extra hour for them. So from uh, 2 to 4 Eastern time, I'm on the Sports Grid Radio Network, which debuts on Sirius Channel 204 starting on Thursday. So we're really excited about that. And if you're a hockey fan, KSHP.com, there's a listen live function sportsbookradio.com all the shows are archived uh and that's on at 1 p.m pacific time if you're a hockey fan it's you know all about all the stuff that's going on all around the league with great guests from around the hockey world and today on our first hour at uh two uh, two eastern 11 pacific time uh we got a certain guy is going to sit in for the hour and uh, that would be you that would be me and I feel like we'll probably talk about a lot of the same topics that we talked about here on today's show, uh, just on yours. So definitely looking forward to that. Always appreciate you asking me to come on and appreciate you doing my show here on Tuesday mornings as well. So thank you so much, Brian. And I'll talk to you again later and our listeners will hear from you next week. All right, buddy. And you know, if you go out to that, uh, Brown's facilities, make sure you got a mask on. Yeah. Thank you so much. There you go. There's Brian Blessing. Once again, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. Follow him on Twitter at Brian Blessing. And check out the videos he did previewing the Wild Card Weekend over on our ATS YouTube page. Not sure if I'm going to do a show tomorrow or not. I don't have anything scheduled as of yet, but may make a late switch to do that. We'll definitely be on Thursday with Brad Powers talking college football for the national championship game and the NFL playoffs. But uh, you know, who knows? You may hear from me tomorrow. If not, you'll hear from me on Thursday. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I'll talk to you again real soon. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.